0: Welcome to this message from Shafal Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I'm going to read for us from Luke chapter 9, just the last couple of verses. Um, And it's about three encounters um, that Jesus has with uh, people that are following Him. And notice the repetition of of the theme of following Jesus. Uh, To the first one, the first person says, I'll follow you wherever you go. To the second one, Jesus says, follow me. And the the third one um, says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first. And um, so this repetition of this idea of following Jesus. So it's all about following Jesus. And these three encounters are used as um, ways to highlight misconceptions about what it means to follow Jesus. And um, let me just uh, read it to you. It's in Luke 9, from verse 57 to 62. There we go. It's up on the screen. So it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no way to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. And The man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let, me, um, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, when you read a passage like that, you almost think that if Jesus were the pastor of a local church, his church wouldn't be very full, right? <laughs> I mean, most of us pastors wish someone would come to us and say, you know, I want to be part of your church. I want to follow you or whatever, you know. But Jesus seems to, you know, hell-bent on discouraging these guys, you know, from, from following him. Or at, at first glance, that's what it seems. Um, but, you know, Jesus... Um, I've entitled my sermon um, Jesus' Campaign Warnings." You see, so so many politicians, when um, when they want people to follow them and vote for them, they make all kinds of campaign promises, wild promises. Promises, if you think about them, just a little bit, you'll realise they, they can't possibly keep them. You know, not only does Jesus not make such wild Ridiculous campaign promises. Um, I mean, it's it's not even a case of him making certain commitments and then reading the fine print. You know, it's not fine print. You know, it's like boom in your face. You know, there's no. It's not like you know, you know, they they make this advertis advertisement for some other product or whatever, and then very quickly, sort of on fast forward, you know, they say. And C's applied, you know, just afterwards, you know, you can hardly hear it, but it's just like, you know, it's there, you know, just T's and C's applied, terms and conditions, you know, and then you know, okay, Jesus, just way up front, he doesn't make campaign promises, he makes he gives campaign warnings, right? He, he wants us to know what it means to follow him, and um, <clears throat> Jesus, I almost. When I was when I was jogging this afternoon, I was I was thinking about the fact that it's 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 almost following Jesus like almost like learning to play the guitar. I heard someone say once that uh, the guitar is one of the easiest instruments to learn, but one of the most difficult to master. You know, and it's like that. But notice that that these are all people who are already following Jesus. It says in in the beginning, um, as they walked along the uh, along the road, a man said to him. So these are all along-the-road encounters. Um, Literally, it it doesn't say walk along the road. It says in the Greek, walk along the way. Now, to to Luke, the way is sort of a special word. In Acts, which was also written by Luke, uh, it refers to Christianity, I think, about five times as the way. Okay? So... We might think, okay, well, you know, Christianity only starts after the cross and after Jesus' blood, the blood of the new covenant was shed and the Holy Spirit was given in the new covenant sense of the word. And that's true and that's right. But what was true about following Jesus before the cross, as illustrated by these encounters, is still true after the cross and and in the new covenant. So, I just want us to look at um, those uh, three examples. And, you know, there are, there are many examples of people who are not following Jesus. And Jesus seems to go very easy on them. Think about the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. He, he's actually very nice with them and very easygoing, and he, and he cares with them, fellowships with them, eats with them, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so much so that he's accused by the religious crowd of being a friend of sinners which he was. Okay? So, so it seems like for people who are not following him, he, he, makes, he gives a very easy in. A very easy sort of way in into relationship with him. But then once you are following him, he makes very sure that you know that following him is not that easy. See why I say it's like learning the guitar? It's easy to learn. It's difficult to master. Um. So let's look at these three encounters and and let's see what Jesus has to say about following him. So it says, as they were walking along the road or along the way, literally, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that seems like the perfect response to Jesus. Isn't that exactly what Jesus wants to hear from us? I'll follow you wherever you go. That seems like this guy's got the right answer he's got the right attitude he's got the right approach everything seems fine and yet jesus response is a bit like there's a bit of pushback there well at least there seems to be jesus replied foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere no place to to lay his head and the first kind of follower we find here is the overconfident follower jesus i'll follow you wherever you go (laughs) and it's like jesus says to him Do you know where I'm going? (laughs) Because if you read it, just a couple of verses earlier, in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken into heaven, he resolutely uh, set out for Jerusalem. Now, taken into heaven is a bit of a euphemism. It's for him to die (laughs) and then be resurrected and ascended. Okay, (laughs) So he's going to Jerusalem to die, and this guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go and Jesus is like <laughs> do you understand what you're saying you know and and it's almost like this is a guy's a bit of an idealist you know it's not so much that he's committed to follow it's not so much that he's committed to Jesus as he's committed to commitment it's not so much that he's excited about Jesus as he's excited about excitement <laughs> some people like that okay And this guy says i'm going to follow you wherever you go and jesus says Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, and, and it seems also to me, if I just read it, I mean, that's a very short statement and a very short response. But, but if I read that response, it seems to me that Jesus could see something in this guy's heart that we cannot see. Something about this guy's expectation of following Jesus that we cannot see. And um, part of it is so often when we follow Jesus, you know, what we actually mean is, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go because I think by following you, you're going to make things better for me. You're going to bless me. I mean, you are Jesus after all. You are God. You are the king. You're the Messiah. I think you're going to make things better for me. I think I've picked a winning team, yeah. So if I follow you, you're going to make things better for me. And what Jesus says to this guy is, if you follow me, you're not necessarily going to get what you expect to get. You're not necessarily going to experience success, even though you think you're joining a winning team, you're not necessarily going to experience success in the way that the world sees success. I mean, look at me. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. And the reason for that, I mean, Jesus had to wander around, avoid the villages, and and especially for for the most part, avoid Jerusalem, where the people, because the people wanted to kill him. The scribes and the Pharisees and stuff wanted to kill him. And he had to be a wanderer without a known address where they can come and arrest him. Just so he could stay alive long enough to do some teaching and raise up some disciples. But now, now the time's drawing near, now he is going to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus doesn't guarantee that we'll have to give up everything to follow him. Most of us didn't. But he says that if we want to follow him, we must be willing to give up everything. You see, following Jesus doesn't by no means guarantees our comfort. And following Jesus is more important than comfort. And we need to realize that. You know, so often I hear Christians say, if God loves me so much, as you say, Annie, if God really loves me so much, where's that job I've been praying for? Or, if God really loves me so much, why am I still single? Or, if God really loves me so much, where's that child that, that I so desperately want? Why can't I get pregnant? Or, if Jesus really loves me so much, you can fill in the blanks yourself. And often the expectation is that if I follow Jesus, he, you know, he owes me that. And what Jesus says is. We as Christians, if we suffer, if things are difficult for us, we should be the last to be surprised about it. Jesus' life wasn't easy, and we shouldn't expect an easy life. If we have a very blessed life and and a relatively easy life, we should be very thankful for it, but we shouldn't expect it. Most of the people in the world who follow Jesus don't have it as easy as we do. We shouldn't feel guilty about that, but we should feel thankful about it because we shouldn't expect it. You see, you're not thankful for things that you expect, right? If someone gives you something that you sort of expect them to give, you feel like they owe you that, then you're like, yeah, of course, you know, of course they're giving it to me. Of course I'm getting my salary at the end of the month for crying out loud. I worked hard for it, you know. (laughs) It's not like, oh, thank you, my employer, for my salary, you know. I I didn't expect it. Wow, you know, can you believe it? (laughs) You know, something you expect, you're not thankful for usually. So Jesus says, don't expect an easy life if you're following me. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing an easy life. I'm not guaranteeing a hard life either, but I'm certainly not guaranteeing an easy life. Um, it seems like this guy in his heart had sort of the idea of making Jesus a means to an end. If I follow you, I'll be, I'll be sorted. I'll be okay. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work like that. Um I'm going to die. I'm, I don't live an easy life. And if you follow me, you're not going to necessarily have an easy life either. And even if you do have a relatively easy life, you know, as, as many of you, if, if most of us, if not most of us have, it still will be more difficult in many ways than someone who's not following Jesus. I heard someone say once, being a Christian's not for sissies. <laughs> okay? Um... It's it's not. It's not the easiest life. When you choose it if, if you want to choose a convenient religion, don't choose Christianity. Remember what happened to the founder of Christianity. Remember what he what metaphor he uses to following him. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, so if you want to choose a religion of convenience, what Jesus is saying, Christianity is not it's not for you. Okay? So um the the first misconception is that following Jesus will you know Make my life better in in um, natural ways. And it won't necessarily. That's not why we follow Jesus. The second one, Jesus says to a man, follow me. And, and he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, Jesus has got a, a lot of bad PR because of this answer. He, 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 the, guy, the guy says, let me first go and bury my my father. And, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You, come and follow, you go and preach, the, proclaim the kingdom of God. And it sounds like Jesus is being very insensitive. <laughs> now jesus says enough odd things in the in the gospels you know we shouldn't describe things to him that he doesn't actually say well what most people think why the seems are to most people is because most people think that this um, either this guy's dad just died or was about to die and he's asking let me just go to the funeral okay that that's what most of us think but remember that this guy was already following Jesus. If his dad was on his deathbed or already dead, he wouldn't be following Jesus. Okay? What's happening here is when he says, let me go and bury my dad, he's saying, look, look, I'll follow you. I want to follow you, but not yet. Let me first go and live in my dad's house, you know, like, I'm, like I've been doing, um, until he dies, and then I can bury him, and I, then I can get my inheritance, and then I'll come and follow you. So it's not like his dad is on his deathbed or something. He's just, when he says, let me go and bury my dad, he says, I'm not, I don't know when my dad's going to die. It might be in a couple of years. But give me until then, and then I'll come and follow you. Why does he say that? Yeah, for, well, two reasons. And um, the, the, the one reason is because, if you can put it that way, His dad is sort of the lord of his life or the king of his life, the one who rules his life. And he he wants to please his dad. And secondly, um, he's afraid that if his dad is not pleased with him, he's going to lose his inheritance. If he follows Jesus, if he sort of breaks rank with orthodox Judaism and starts following this radical rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth, then his dad's going to disinherit him. He's going to lose the inheritance. So he's, he's saying, let me first just make sure everything is safe. Because my dad might be a little upset about this, you know. And in in both this one and the next one, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He says, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says, anyone who looks back, puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Um, The kingdom, they're all talking about following Jesus. And Jesus connects it for this guy and for the next guy with the kingdom. What is the kingdom? You know, entering the kingdom... I think uh, Tim Keller says this, and I, and I quite like this. It's like, it's not like going on a journey as much as it's crossing a border. Okay, if I want to, if I'm in Cape Town and I want to go to Zimbabwe, um, I can travel a s- thousand kilometers and still not have arrived in Zimbabwe. I'll only be in Bloemfontein, and I can travel a thousand five hundred kilometers and I'll only be in Pretoria. I can travel all the way to the border. What's the border post again? Beitbrach. I can travel all the way there, be at the border, and still be as much outside of the country of Zimbabwe as I was when I was in Cape Town. What gets me in Zimbabwe is not a 2,000 kilometer journey. It's one step. It's crossing a border it's moving from one country to another country. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is like that. It's not about ethical improvement or doctrinal improvement. It's not about believing the right things more or doing the right things more. That, that's the equivalent of the journey. It's it's you know, it's, it's not a quali- uh, it's not a, a quantitative difference. A, there's you know the quantity of goodness that I live or the quantity of rightness that I believe is more. That doesn't get you into the kingdom. It's a qualitative difference. It's like stepping over a border. In other words, what he's saying to this guy is you need to enter the kingdom. You know, at the moment your dad is your king. He provides for you. He determines what you do and what you don't do. Effectively, he's your king. What is a king? A king is someone who who provides for you, who protects you, who leads you. That's why it's so strange when some people say, you know, I've, I've accepted Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord and King. Really? How did you do that? <laughs> I'm trusting him as Savior, but not as Lord and King. The only way he can save you is by becoming your king. That's how he protects you and provides you and leads you. Out of bondage and into liberty. Um, so, what Jesus is saying is you need to you need a change In kingdom. But the kingdom of God is not a kingdom that you travel to. But it is a kingdom that you have to cross a border to enter into. And he says to this guy, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom. And what what he's saying there is he's alluding to how you cross that border. Because he's talking about two kinds of dead people here. Did you notice that? The dead who are buried and the dead who do, do, do the burying. Let the dead bury their own dead. So the dead who are being buried are the physically dead. But who are the dead that are doing the burying? Must be the spiritually dead, right? So he's saying, as long as you're on the other side of that border, you might have traveled 1,500, 2,000 kilometers. You might be right at the border. But until you've crossed that border, and by implication, by being born again, you are spiritually dead. How do you know that you've crossed that border? Well, Jesus says, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. You see, once you have, you see, while you're dead, you are, you know, you you can't you can't talk about what made you alive, if I can put it that way. But once you've been made alive, you just want to tell everyone about what made you alive. You know? And this gospel of the kingdom, once you have Move from being the dead who bury the dead. Once you've been made alive, once you've crossed that border into the kingdom, you want to talk about it. You can't help talking about it. And um, then Jesus talks to the, the, the third guy uh, and he says, and still another uh, said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who Uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Um, And this just gives us a little also about the priority. Notice in the the previous one, the guy also said, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my dad. This one says, I want to follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye. And, And what we see here is that the kingdom of God doesn't only take priority over our comfort. It takes priority over all other commitments. Every other, even family, even good commitments like family. Anything that holds you back from the kingdom, you should let go and enter the kingdom. Now, Jesus is not saying to the previous guy, you know, be a bad son, you know, be disrespectful to your parents. That's absolutely not what he's saying. Um... But he's saying, don't idolize your family by making them more important than me and allowing them to keep you out of the kingdom and keep you from following me. Anything, whether it's good or bad, that's keeping you from following Jesus is an idol. You know, what Jesus is saying, you know, you cannot say, yes, I'll follow you, but first. Then you're not getting the kingdom yet. Then, you, then you're not understanding what it means to follow Jesus yet. Um, there 's a story about uh, Saint Augustine who lived between four and five hundred a d brilliant man, a genius, great philosopher. Um, his mother was a Christian, her name was Monica, and she prayed for him for for many years I think in the end, for about sixteen or eighteen years that she prayed for him and, and but he lived a wild life um, he he just wanted to enjoy life. He was a real rebel, a smart rebel, but a rebel nonetheless. But he, but he had this tugging in his heart towards God. So he went and he listened to Ambrose of Milan, who was a famous preacher of the time. And he was preaching about the Ten Commandments. And he felt very convicted about, and very convinced, actually, that the Ten Commandments are right and just. Uh, but he was, the problem was he was living with his mistress. You know, they, they were cohabiting and they were sleeping together. And he really liked this girl. He really enjoyed her, and he enjoyed, the, he enjoyed the sex. You know, he made no you know, uh, secrets about it. And um, he knew, it, but he, he was convicted and convinced that he was wrong. And he prayed, because of that conviction, he prayed the, this prayer that became sort of a, a, a very famous, a sort of immortal prayer. He said, oh, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. And so, so many people when they when they want when they've called to respond to the kingdom respond like Augustine Lord make me good, but not yet. Lord, I want to follow you, but not yet. Why not yet? Always because there's something that's more important to you than than, than Jesus. Um so Jesus uh, says to this guy, he says Lord, let me go back and and first say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And uh, in 1 Kings 19, you can just put it up on the screen, uh, there's a story of of Elijah calling Elisha. Uh, Elisha's a very rich man. He has 12 yoke of oxen, 24 oxen, plowing with him. Um, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, which was symbolic of, of calling him to um, to be successor. Elisha then left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come uh, with you. Go back, said Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back and took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, and he burned the plow Uh, The plowing equipment and cooked the meat uh, and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And um, I'm sure you can see when Jesus says, whoever sets his hand to the plow and looks back, because the guy asked him the same question Elijah asked Elijah, let me first go and say goodbye to my family. And he was busy plowing when that happens. And Elisha says to him, go back, what have I done to you? And he goes back, but what he does when he goes back to say goodbye is he really says goodbye. He really says goodbye. And how we know that is he slaughters those 24 oxen, uh, you know, the cattle, slaughters it, uses the plowing equipment, the yolks and stuff, to make a fire. He has a big braai, he cooks the meat, And gives it to the people, not just the servants, but the people of the village, which must have been, I mean, 24 oxen in that day. I mean, just remember the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son is upset about a fattened calf that is being slaughtered for his younger brother. 24 oxen is a lot more than that. This must have been the biggest feast these guys have seen in their life. Why does he slaughter the oxen? Why? does he use the plowing equipment to cook it for them? Because he's sending a very clear message to himself and to the people. I've got everything I want. I'm from a rich family. I'm very prosperous. You know, you had to be very rich to have to, to, to plow with 24 yoke of oxen. It, Elisha was a rich man. The fact that he could kill the oxen himself means that it was his oxen, not just his family's. It, it belonged to him. And and he was saying, I'm burning my, my plowing equipment. I'm killing my cattle. I'm not coming back to this life. When I said to Elijah, I'm going to say goodbye to my parents, I meant it. And, and Jesus alludes back to that. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, he's not saying, no, don't go and say goodbye to your parents. He's saying, if you go and say goodbye to your parents, go and say goodbye like Elisha did, burn your bridges. Burn your plowing equipment. Make it very clear you're not going back to your old life. You're really stepping into this new life. You're going to follow me like Elisha followed Elijah to the end. So here's, here's the thing that Jesus says to us through these three examples. He's saying, listen, I'm going to read you the fine print. In fact, there is no fine print. I'm going to say it to you straight. Following me is not easy. Where I go and where I'll lead you is not easy. So don't expect comfort. If you want to follow me, you need to enter my kingdom. In other words, Make me your king. Make me the one that you rely on for provision and protection and for leadership, not your dad. Nothing wrong with your dad. Honor your dad. Love your dad, but don't trust him for your salvation. Don't trust him for things that only I can give you, and don't follow him in a way that makes it impossible for you to follow me. And then he says to this guy, if you're going to say goodbye, if you're sort of on the edge, if you're on that border looking into Zim, you know, to use our, to use our, our metaphor, you, you haven't crossed the border yet, but you're looking and you like what you see and you, you're about to cross in, you just want to go and say goodbye. By all means, go and say goodbye, but really say goodbye. And then cross over into the kingdom. Put your, put your, your, your shoulder to the plow and don't look back. Um, and I think that's also a word to us as Christians who are in the kingdom. I mean, plowing in those days, you didn't have a tractor you know, with, you know, that, that could plow multiple furrows. You, you, had, you, had a, you had a yoke of oxen, two oxen in a yoke, and, and you had a plow that had one sort of, um, what do you call it, blade, and, and, and you stuck it in the ground and, and you plowed. And the, the best way to make sure that, that you plowed skew was to look over your shoulder to see whether you've plowed straight. What you did was you looked straight ahead of you. You picked a spot somewhere there ahead, straight ahead, and then you just aim for that spot. This morning, John Andrews was saying that um, you follow your focus. So if you turn your focus that way, you're going to go this way. I, I, I'm sure you know when you've been driving, you know, um, Lenka was saying it about the trees, you know, driving and see a tree and like, whoa, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> Go in the direction of the tree. You follow your focus. And if you're plowing and you want to plow a straight furrow, you've got to focus straight ahead. And Jesus says, You've got to focus on me and follow me. Don't, don't look where you've been. Don't look how you don't look back to see how you've been doing. Just focus on me and follow me. That's how you follow me. So. I think this is a nice challenge to us, um, uh, to, to really follow Jesus. Let, let's stand. To not have wrong expectations when we follow Jesus. Jesus is not like our typical politicians. He's not like the Republicans, the Democrats, the ANC, or the DA, or the EFF. It's not like any of them. All of them make campaign promises that they know they can't keep in order to try and win you over. All of them paint this rosy picture of, you know, just vote for us, just follow us, and all your problems will be solved. Everything will be okay. And Jesus says, "No. Listen, follow me, and it's going to be difficult." If you follow me, it's going to be difficult. But if you don't follow me, it's going to be even more difficult. If you follow me, it might be difficult. But the retirement benefits are out of this world. (laughs) 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 If you don't follow me, you will still be disappointed. If you follow me, you'll be disappointed. If you don't follow me, you'll still be disappointed. But, But... after death if you don't follow me after death you'll be even more disappointed you'll not only be the dead that buries the dead you'll be the dead that gets buried so in the end it's actually a, in one way a hard choice because you've got to give up you've got to make Jesus the most important but on the other hand it's also an easy choice you know, if you think about it clearly, there's there's no real other option. Some so often we fall into this trap, these traps. Lord, I'm following you as a means to an end. Because you're going to make my life better. Or oh Lord, I'll follow you as soon as. Or oh Lord, I'll follow you as long as. And Jesus says, no, just follow me. Just follow me. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just think, what are the things that the wrong expectations that you have for following Jesus? Or what are the, the prerequisites that you have for, following, for really following Jesus and putting Him first in your life? If you can't think of anything, just to say, Holy Spirit, if there's anything, just show me. Just show me. If there's anything that I'm putting ahead of you. making more important than you. And if the Holy Spirit shows you anything, just bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. I'm going to follow you, nothing else. I'm going to enter your kingdom and that means you are the king of my life. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.chauffer.joberg.com.